It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's part two of the weekend mailbag, so that means we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Gary Weber. He says, do the Jets have a second round pick? Some mock drafts say yes, some say no. Joe Douglas said the team has eight picks in his year-end presser. What is the deal? So I've been looking into this, Chris, and you might have more insight. But as far as I can tell, they have seven picks and might have eight because the seventh rounder that they traded away to the Ravens for Alex Lewis was conditional. But nobody knows exactly what the conditions were. So as soon as they come out, that's when we'll know for sure. I have to imagine, though, with him making the roster and starting a significant number of games, that the conditions had to have been met. So I'm going to assume that that seventh-round pick goes to the Ravens. But you have one first-round pick for the Jets, a second-rounder, two-thirds. Remember, they got one from the Giants in exchange for Leonard Williams, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, because they got it for Darren Lee. They took their own sixth and traded it to the Colts for Nate Hairston. And then that seventh is what's up in the air. But I think that they're probably going to end up giving that to the Ravens. So it looks like probably seven picks. Yeah, I I don't know the exact specific details on uh, that uh, Alex Lewis stuff. And to be honest, it's not something that I've uh, really looked at lately. Um, but I completely agree with your assessment there. For a seventh round conditional draft pick, I have a hard time imagining that he didn't meet the conditions to give up that seventh rounder. But we're talking about a seventh round draft pick there. That that person isn't going to make or break the Jets season next year. So you're all right with losing that one. They absolutely have a second round pick. Um, it's a little later in the second round. I, uh, I'm not 100% sure on this. I, I just think that um, – this is just the assumption I've made, but it's probably because they tied with a bunch of people uh, for records, and then sometimes they flip those in later rounds. Um, so that they're they're picking later than eleventh in the second round. I forget where it is. It's a little bit closer to the back end of it, uh, but they absolutely have that second round pick. So they have four four picks in the first three rounds. They have the first, obviously a little bit later in the second and then they have the Giants pick in the third um, and then their own pick in the third. That pick in the second round is number 48 by the way. Yeah there you go. 
Next question comes in from Michael Parsons. He says, knowing how both Kansas City and the 49ers built their teams, has it changed or reinforced anything on how you feel the Jets should build the team, possibly investing four first-rounders on the D-line? Also, did you enjoy the Super Bowl, and what are your top three games that you've watched live? Ooh, that's an interesting question. So let's start with the first part of this. I think that the 49ers model is the model that if you're a team trying to copy, that's what you want to do. Because I think the Chiefs model is very difficult to copy because it requires you to have a top five quarterback. And I'm not saying that Sam Darnold can't be that guy. I think he can. But I'm also going to tell you that I'm in no way sure that he's going to be that guy. And right now, he's much more likely to be around Jimmy G level, which is, say, number 12 to 15, than he is to be Pat Mahomes level, which which is in the top three in the NFL. So if you look at what the 49ers did, the formula is dominate the line of scrimmage on offense and disrupt the opposing quarterback and nullify him on the other end, mostly by providing constant pressure from the inside and the outside. I think if you can build a team like that, that's really where you want to go. And the offensive key for the 49ers was that offensive line. Like I said, dominating the line of scrimmage. And you saw they gave Jimmy Garoppolo plenty of time to throw and they were opening up holes for the running game. So I think if the Jets can build a dominant offensive line and a dominant front seven, that's really what you want to do. And I think it'll help Darnold a lot too because you can get solid targets. If you look at what the 49ers had, Kittle was easily their best offensive player. And I'm not saying that Christopher Herndon's going to be anywhere near as good as Kittle, but if he can be a top 10 to 12 tight end, he could be somewhere in the range of really good weapon for him maybe borderline Pro Bowl-ish, and then you get yourself some solid receivers like, say, Jamison Crowder, and then maybe you can get yourself some guys in the draft and Robbie Anderson. I think that's fine if you have a dominant offensive line along the lines of what the 49ers built, and then the pressure. You already have the beginnings of a really strong interior defensive line, and I think, knock on wood, that Quinn and Williams is going to really break out in his second year. If you can add those edge presences on the outside to go with it, the way that the 49ers had Buckner and Armstead on the inside and then Bosa and Ford on the outside, I think that's the formula. So I think that if you could build a team along the lines of what the 49ers did, the Jets could be very successful. I don't think they're a ton of pieces away from doing that on defense. I think maybe an edge rusher or two. On offense, it's really that they've got to completely rebuild the offensive line. The receivers need work too, certainly, but the offensive line is the key to all of that. As far as whether or not I liked the Super Bowl, I did. I didn't think it was an all-time great, super memorable game. I thought it was a solid football game. There weren't a lot of great moments that we're going to look back at. In fact, I bet you that 10 years from now, the bulk of the talk about it is going to be the halftime show, more so than anything that actually happened in the game, but... I thought it was a solid football game and top three games that I've watched live. I'm going to give you a couple off the top of my head that I really enjoyed. And I'm going to make this non-Jets games because it's not fair to include games that are Jets games because they obviously have special meaning to me and anybody else who's a Jets fan. So number one, Texas Longhorns, USC Trojans National Championship game. That was maybe the best football game I've ever seen. Just incredible top to bottom. And all the way down to the ending, which was phenomenal. Vince Young played maybe the best football game I've ever seen anybody play. 467 yards of total offense. Just incredible against that USC team that was a juggernaut. You had the drama of them going for it on the fourth and two and Texas stopping them. And then Texas driving all the way down to get the touchdown at the very end. Just tremendous football. 
Another one that sticks out to me that I love, there was a Monday night game, and I can't remember if it was 93 or 94, but it was the Chiefs and the Broncos, and it was the last head-to-head matchup between Joe Montana and John Elway. And John Elway led a two-minute drive to take the lead for the Broncos, and then Joe Montana got the ball and went right back the other way, and the Chiefs ended up winning the game with under 10 seconds to go. That was awesome because, to me, that was two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and two of the great comeback quarterbacks of all time punching each other in the face nonstop for four quarters until finally Joe Montana got the better of it. And as far as the third best game, man, it's a tough one, but I'll tell you, I guess... The Buffalo Bills comeback against the Houston Oilers in the playoffs when they were down 34-3 or 35-3. I can't remember which one it was. That was just a remarkable comeback to watch. And obviously, I'm not a Bills fan, but just seeing how that unfolded, to me, was great drama. Because you thought there was no way that there was ever going to be a chance that the Bills could win that game. But it was... Something remarkable to watch And we haven't seen anything quite like it With the exception of that Patriots game And I can't give that Patriots game The nod over the Bills and the Oilers Simply because my irrational hatred of the Patriots Overrides everything Chris, what do you think? First, let's start with your thoughts on How the Jets should build the team Do you think that Kansas City and the 49ers Provided any kind of blueprint? I mean, I I won't go as far to say Either of them uh provided much of a blueprint just because I think the those the two blueprints have been provided beforehand um we've seen it before we you know we've seen it with uh the Giants uh two most recent Super Bowls the the defensive line pressure we've seen it with the Eagles and what they did we we know the offensive line uh and then having uh, weapons everywhere we we know those situations so as much of a blueprint um, and I, my thing again for for this year for the Jets is different than just my long term out out view for there. I just think this is such a make or break season for Darnold and his career with the Jets that it has to be all about Darnold here. Next year, it does it's it would be unrealistic to think you're building a Super Bowl team for just next year. So I think the only and the main priority and really the only priority is making sure you do everything to maximize what you can get out of Darnold. And then in the future, you can look to add more pieces to this defense. I, obviously, you want the pressure there, but you also want an offense. And defense is also something that struggles teams struggle to be consistently good on defense year to year. It's something that doesn't repeat as much. Now, uh, obviously, you have a little bit of that same type of thing with offensive line too. So it works both ways. But I, you need, you do with unless you have a Patrick Mahomes in order to win the Super Bowl, you need to have a little bit of both. And even the Chiefs had a little bit of both because. A, they fixed their run defense. I, I I thought they were gonna win this game and I was very happy with the Super Bowl too, because I I I mean Patrick Mahomes is pretty much the love of my life at this point. Um I I, I love him and I am always rooting for him. Um but they stopped the 49ers run game way better than I expected them to, and they had a good pass rush as well. So it is a blend. 
And you do need uh, both of those things. I just think for this season, the priority has to be about everything, put getting all your resources to helping Darnold. As far as the um, my, the top three games, I was an Oilers fan growing up. Uh, when I first started really paying attention to football, I lived right outside of Houston. The first football game I ever went to was a, a Oilers game in in the Astrodome. And I vividly remember I had just moved to New Jersey. Uh, I, I vividly remember that game. And I don't know if I've ever felt a more cr- crushed watching a football game ever in my life. And then uh, then they went and moved to Tennessee. And I was, remember, I was sitting there debating if I should – get a new team or what I was going to do. And then they traded Warren moon. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not rooting for this team anymore. So, uh, yeah. So for making me remember that moment. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not particularly happy with you about that, Scott. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, as far as the top three games, I'm going to exclude college games. Cause that's going to make it more difficult. Cause that US, USC Texas game was right up there at the top. I could also throw in the, uh, Alabama Clemson national championship game Watson's uh, last year that game was absolutely incredible um I'm gonna go with the Cardinal Arizona Cardinals and Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl uh where they had that James Harrison uh interception return the end of the first half and the San Antonio Holmes touchdown at the end I'm gonna go with that as one of them I I you know, I was just reminded of this game last night because watching the Michael Vick documentary, but watching that first half of Michael Vick against Washington there, that was one of the most incredible games I've ever seen. And just, it's really a singular performance, but man, it was such an incredible singular performance. Um, and I'm not, uh, if I'm excluding Jets' performances, if, I, if I'm including them, then I would go with them beating the Patriots and the playoffs there, obviously. Um, but otherwise, I'd probably go with uh, the Rams-Titans Super Bowl to, to see it come down to the end and him just be a half a yard short. Um, yeah, that, that was a great game. Th- those are probably going to be my votes right there. Next question comes in from Joe Hornig. He says, who are some edge rushers the Jets can target in free agency who are not big names? Maybe Vic Beasley, Bud Dupree, Matthew Judon. The problem is, I don't know that I would say that those guys aren't big names. Everybody who follows football mostly knows them. Maybe not Judon as much. That could be somebody that would be interesting if he shakes free. The only problem with him is... He flashed late and he's 29 years old. So he's a good player, but you wonder about paying a guy like that. I wonder if Bud Dupree shakes free. He'd be interesting. I'm not much of a believer in Vic Beasley. I think he's a very blah player. If you bring him in here, I'm not so sure that he's an upgrade over Jordan Jenkins. Honestly, I think you could make a case Jenkins is better than him anyway. Jenkins is definitely a better player. As far as straight pass rushing, you could try and make a case for Beasley, I suppose. But if you look at the other guys that could be available, obviously they're bigger names. Yannick Ngakwe is somebody we've talked about, Dante Fowler Jr. So this will be an interesting class to look at. We'll see who shakes free. Judon is probably the guy that's the least quote-unquote big name that could be available. So maybe he's somebody they go after. But honestly, I think he's going to get a lot of money because as we've seen, anybody that shows even the slightest bit of pass rush ability gets paid in free agency. 
Yeah, he's going to get a good amount of money. He's going to get paid, but he is more than likely to shake free. I, uh, I don't, I don't, I'd be surprised if Baltimore uh, retains him. Uh, that's just how Baltimore operates. Uh, they're pro- they're not going to pony up the money for him, but he is somebody I would definitely go after, depending on the price tag. Yeah, I guess it's a semantics thing talking about the big name because. You can argue Beasley's a big name just because of where he was drafted. And, uh, you know, there was talk about the Jets drafting him uh, when instead of Leo. So I, you could do that. But I, at this point, I'd say that he's probably not a big name. Uh, but, uh, again, that's a semantics argument. Um, Jordan Jenkins is definitely an all-around better player. Um, uh, Vic Beasley definitely has more natural, raw, uh, you know, just pure pass rushing ability. But – he had that one really good year in Atlanta and then just completely disappeared. I wouldn't be against, uh, you know, giving him, you know, a one-year or two-year uh, small contract because I do not think he's going to command big money. But he, he, there's a good chance that he'll command more than I would be willing to take a chance on just because of how desperate uh, so many teams are for edge rushers. <clears throat> but I wouldn't be against giving him a small deal to bring him in, especially if you can pair him with somebody else, whether it's a rookie or, you know, again, Ngakwe would be a no-brainer if he shakes free, even though he would cost a ton. He he is worth it. And and I, I have no problem with spending free agent money on defense. Um, I It's one of those things where people – you can do both. You can address the offensive line and the offense and free agency – and you can also go ahead and uh, make some moves on defense there. I just those those uh, top of the draft. That's where I want to focus uh, my offense. To that way, you you can miss on a guy, and you still have two or three other guys there. Um, but yeah, I I would say Judon is the the most likely uh, non big name that they could go after, but. Uh, he he's not going to be cheap. He he's going to be. I think he'll be really good. I know I I agree with you about the age thing and giving that guy a contract then. But I, depending on how big of a contract we're talking about, obviously, um, I would be all for that. I think he's I think he's the most realistic option out of any type of edge that you could look for there. By the way, one last thought on Vic Beasley. He's not as good as Leonard Williams, not by a long shot. So for everybody that wants to talk Leonard Williams and say that the Jets got him and he was a big bust or whatever you want to say, much better player than Vic Beasley. And if you don't believe me, go ahead and ask people around the league. Trust me, that's the answer you're going to get. It's not even close, to be honest with you. I, I, I understand how much of a disappointment Leo was. But again, I, I'm going to point this out. It's just because of the way Leo started. And you, we just assumed his trajectory was just going to keep going, skyrocketing, and it kind of plateaued. But he has so much more value than people realize, even while I acknowledge it's not enough for, for the Jets to have kept him. And I understand the frustrations with him. But believe both of us here, the, you guys would be far more frustrated with Vic Beasley if they drafted Vic Beasley. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Abstract Analyst. He says, given the schedule for next year, what is the over-under on how many excuses Adam Gase is going to use each week and how many games before he's throwing Darnold under the bus? <laughs> I think Oof. if things are going poorly, you may not necessarily see him throw Darnold under the bus publicly, but you'll hear some stuff behind the scenes, certainly. As far as the amount of excuses, oh boy. There's going to be two or three of them each week when they lose. And a lot of them is going to involve how players weren't executing what he drew out for them properly. Yeah, this is tough. But that, and to be fair to Gase, that is something that a lot of coaches do anyway. The whole uh, it's about execution thing. And a lot of times they are correct about that. But Gase leans on that a little bit more. And last year, I don't think that was the problem as much. Obviously, definitely. The offensive line was uh, part of a problem with that. But I also think he did a lot of things that did not help the situation. Yeah, I I agree with you that you're probably not going to hear much out of him publicly throwing Darnold under the bus. But we know that he has kind of gotten there behind the scenes with Darnold uh, already. And if it it continues um, with – underwhelming play let's let's say that underwhelming play for whatever the reason I think you will hear that get louder and louder and louder uh but yeah on a week-to-week basis three three is a good number to to set it at and I think more more often than not he will probably hit the over there all I'll add is you saw toward the end of last season that there were certain 
people who were writing columns about how Sam Darnold's going to have to prove that he's the guy, talking about how he's going to have to show that he can operate within Gase's system. So you take that and you factor in Gase's reputation, you know where that stuff was coming from, and you know where it's going if Sam Darnold doesn't play lights out in 2020. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, your thoughts on the Jets pursuing Jack Conklin as their number one target in free agency to play tackle. He'll be 26 and coming off a strong season, creates flexibility for them in round one of the draft, and great tackles are harder to come by than interior linemen. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially if Yannick Ngakwe gets franchise tagged, which seems like we're heading that direction from what I'm reading. So if that happens, absolutely, Conklin makes the most sense as the number one target and if not number one certainly near the top I'm all for it works for me I have nothing else to say other than I think that it would be a smart move and I wouldn't be surprised if it's the move that Joe Douglas tries to make yeah I I completely agree I think that has to be the guy at the top of Joe Douglas's wish list right now Um, as a little addendum to what I was saying earlier about how they need to get two offensive linemen in free agency and, and then try for two in the draft. I think you, in an ideal world, you want to get, uh, you know, a tackle in free agency and an inside guy in free agency and then do the same in the draft, get another tackle there, another inside guy as well. Um, you know, and there's a possibility they could roll with a, a Doga. There, there's lots of little things they could do, but I think the goal and ideal scenario here is you get a tackle in, uh, like Conklin and free agency, you, you get a, you know, a Thuney or uh, somebody as a guard inside, and then you do the same thing with the draft. You take a, a, ta- a tackle there and then an inside guy there. And, yeah, I, I think Conklin is definitely at the top of Joe Douglas's wish list. Next question comes in from Michael Pallison. and it's the first of a series of questions. He says, was Woody hands off while in the UK or would he have known what was going on with this Rick Dennison story that was reported by Manish? So if you haven't seen the story, Manish had it in the Daily News. There's some sort of action going on with Dennison where he's suing the Jets for back pay. There's a whole complicated web there. I'm not entirely sure who's going to come out on top there. I have no idea if Woody Johnson knew what was going on. Chris, you have any inkling as to that? I do not. I don't know how much Woody is involved um, and how much he is hands off there. I, you know, I know that what they say, I know what they put out there. I also know uh, enough about Woody Johnson and his personality and how he, he runs things that it's really hard for him to not be involved. So I know what they say. I don't really buy. I don't really believe. But in this one instance, I don't think it matters. And what I mean by that is whether he was involved or he, he was completely not involved, and my my guess here is he probably wasn't involved in this just because I don't think he's so involved that he's getting bogged down in the details of the signing of an offensive line coach while he's over there. <laughs> I just don't think that's the, the case. I, I'd be shocked, in, in fact, if that was the case. But I don't think it matters because I think Christopher Johnson is just doing – following the template that Woody Johnson has set up. This is the Jets have a reputation for this type of thing. This is 
a reputation that started with Woody Johnson here. And I think that Chris Johnson is just following the script that Woody Johnson went there with. Um, and this, this isn't an Adam Gase problem. This isn't a Joe Douglas problem. This is a, a ownership and uh, a higher, higher level than, than those guys problem. This is just the way they do business. And uh, I, I, I don't think specifically Woody Johnson had anything to do with, with this, I do think it's exactly what he would have done if he was here. And Christopher Johnson is just doing the same. By the way, I should note that I texted Manish about this since it was his story. And he said that Woody Johnson's knowledge is loose, if at all. So in other words, he's saying that maybe Woody was brought up to speed later on, but he may not even really know about it. So there's your answer in terms of Woody's involvement in the whole situation. That's going to wrap things up for part two of the mailbag. Don't forget to follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And if you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review yet on iTunes, really appreciate it if you could do that for us. It's an easy way to help out the show. It doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money. But it goes a long way in helping this show. So if you could do that for us, we'd be grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.